Once Upon a Time Season 5 Episode 12 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom, one of the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap, and I am joined, as always, by the man who I just let out of his little box after three months of waiting, the one and only Kurt Clark. Kurt, we are back. We are back. It's like three months on, three months off, three months on, three months off with the show. Yeah, this feels like an inordinately long off-season to me. I don't know if you feel the same way. I think it actually might be by length the longest, considering we went from the first week of December to the first week of March without any form of Once Upon a Time. So this definitely felt like a long three months. Uh, Kurt, for anyone who hasn't you know, followed you on Twitter or hasn't tuned into our uh, Top Chef recaps over on reality TV or hap-ups over the course of the winter, how have your past few months been since we last heard you on Once Upon a Recap? Pretty solid, pretty solid. Uh, like you said, it's uh, m- most of my podcast time has been dominated by our Top Chef Roundtable, which has been fun and which people can check out. Uh, but other than that, just been uh, kind of watching random shows here and there and hoping that the Clark curse does not strike any of them. Well, if you do, you sent these shows to purgatory where they need to redeem themselves and they can either go one way or the other, right? Yes, this is this is just like The Amazing Race. This is an unfinished business uh, a season that we got here on Once Upon a Time. Oh, God, I, I'm thank God this isn't on CBS or I'm sure we would have seen the Harlem Globetrotters and the Cowboys appear in some sort of form in this season instead of the other guest stars that we got in this 100th episode. Yeah, they just keep parading them out. Let's see how long they can keep this up. Yeah, so overall, I mean, this is the 100th episode of Once Upon a Time. They officially made the syndication number, and it's also the mid-season premiere of season five. We have made it to hell or the underworld as it was. Uh, Kurt, overall, how did you feel about this episode as sort of a landmark episode for the series? I I liked it as a mid-season premiere. Um, I think it did a good job of setting up what we can maybe possibly expect for the next uh uh you know 11 or so episodes but as like a landmark episode as like if they wanted to go big for 100 um it, it didn't necessarily feel all of that special to me it was it was great that we get and we had all these these cameos from characters past um but it, i don't know if i would have it, it just didn't necessarily seem as landmark as it could have looking back upon it i'd agree you know, the, the, the premieres, both mid-season and season premieres of these Once Upon a Time half-season arcs, they're usually introducing the characters into a new world, and they're definitely doing it here with the underworld. And I thought they actually narrowed the scope really, really down to a fine point in this episode, where, like you said, we have these cameos, but the ones we're really, really focusing on are Regina and her family and her parents, uh, usually we get a wide bevy of, of character stories to sort of parse out over the course of the season. But this one was very focused, which has its pros and its cons. I think the pros are that I, I do. I did really like the Regina storyline overall this episode. I thought it was really strong character work there. But I guess on the downside, I feel like we we were sort of robbed of opportunities of guest stars. And I know, Kurt, you don't follow the 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 press that was leading up to this, but this was all they could talk about for this half season was the 100th episode, who was coming back. And so various names kept getting thrown out into the ethos. And I was a little surprised that, you know, some of them got downplayed. I mean, Cora and King Henry definitely got the lion's share of the guest star work this episode. Yeah, the, the Simba's share. Um, but <laughs> but I'm, I'm not convinced. Well, and again, people who know the kind of the 
the the call sheet for the rest of the season probably uh, could correct me on this, but I'm not convinced we've heard that we've seen the last of Pam. Um, it, it seemed like at least from a secondary perspective that there might be some more unfinished business uh, that he's going to have with uh, with gold. So I'm not entirely sure we're done with him, but yeah, like, you know, Neil was one and done. I don't know if we're going to see, you know, the, the huge impactful role that the witch from Hansel and Gretel <laughs> is going to play. Um, but it was, it was a nice little surprise, but um, yeah, it'd be, I, my, my heart, my heart is open that we will see more Pam. Yeah, I, I, th- I would hope so. Again, I'm not sure. I know Robbie Kane was doing Heroes Reborn at some yeah. point last year. He's not going to uh, get called back for more of that. <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, or at least maybe he will in like 2025 when his son plays an important role and has to save the world. But, but I agree. I think he had a pertinent role in this episode that I'm sure we're going to talk about later. I'd say of the non-Cora uh, group, of guest stars. I feel like he was probably the most important and had the most screen time. So I would definitely imagine seeing him back. But I think one of the upsides and simultaneous downsides you have to bringing this purgatory to a storybook setting and having the ability to bring back all these previous characters is that you have people to show up to be, you have the ability to have people show up as in sort of one and done cameos. But at the same time, you can also use the logic of, for example, okay, Cora has now been turned back into a, a Miller's daughter. Is that going to be the excuse for why we don't see her for the rest of the season? Is she just going to be in the background the entire time oh. and nobody's going to acknowledge it? You know, I didn't. Even, you count me as maybe not thinking things through fully. I didn't even put together that you know, we wouldn't see Cora uh, anymore. Um, but yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, she she kind of failed in her task, and I think it's. I think we're ready to potentially move on. Um, for some reason, I was thinking, oh, we're going to see still some some more of her. Uh, but yeah, probably not, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I didn't. I took more of a look at the press stuff than you did, but I didn't. I tried to not take too much of a look at it just to not spoil myself too much. I'm not sure if these people were hired to do, you know, only one episode. If some were hired to do multiples, so I could see Cora coming back in some capacity. But I feel like if she didn't, we could chalk back to the end of this episode and say, okay, I guess this is a semi logical reason why is because she was banished by Hades to be a Miller's daughter that just sort of fills in as an extra now. And by Hades, you mean the guy at the end with the blue hair, right? Yeah, we will. <laughs> we will definitely talk about that. Uh, let's not bury the lead, especially because dirt is known to put out fire. And I'm sure Hades won't like that. Let's start from the beginning here. Uh, my, my first squee of the season so far uh, starts right at the beginning here because we have Emma waking up in her yellow bug. And I don't know. I don't think that was Storybrooke. I think it was uh, might have been some other random metropolitan setting but the most important part here is that neil is in the back seat and he has a a message for her yeah i was i I think i actually had to rewind it just to watch the scene a a second time and it just seemed like it was kind of random boardwalky amusement park i mean you had a roller coaster in the background a haunted house off to the side i'm not sure what she was doing there and i'm i'm sure there's some reference that uh from her past with neil that we're completely missing uh, why why an amusement park is, is important here. But yeah, this to me was more of the um, kind of a dream realm that a dream realm that she was entering uh, just as she was you had was falling asleep on the way to the underworld. Yeah, it seems like almost Neil has the power of inception in that he was able to put, yeah. put, he was able to pierce her dreams and was able to subtly implant a message in, into her head before taking off. 
Yeah, Inception Inception's a great comparison. It, it was like there's he visited her in her dream, uh explained that uh you know, she probably shouldn't go to the underworld because it's not going to be easy for her to return. Um but that also that he can't he can't join her there. I mean, it's here that we learned that that uh the underworld or hell or whatever we want to call it is is for people with unfinished business and that's why he's not there and why he can't join her. Yeah. What do you think about that concept, Kirk? Because I think at the end of the half season, we said, okay, we're going to the underworld. And even in the movie Hercules, I feel like the underworld has a concept of this is hell. This is where souls are, you know, boiling for their damnation, for their sins. Whereas here, again, it seems much more of a purgatorial state. I feel like it leads to a better writing thing, but I'd say compared to the mythological aspects of the underworld, it just doesn't really compare well. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I mean, I was looking forward to this entire season being able to go once upon a time in hell. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, Scott St. Pierre put London, put thunder crash right there. Um, <laughs> but uh, but, yeah, no, it, it was very much kind of a, a purgatory ish um, waiting room as things. And once things get cleared up, then you have a couple of choices in which direction you're going to go. And we kind of see how both of those options play out over the, the, the over the course of this initial episode. Um, but yeah, it's I, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's interesting, although I mean, I'm not the expert on, on Greek mythology, but I think that the underworld uh, was just a place where like, I don't think that that souls that or you know, when people died, if they were um, uh, if they had done well in life, it's not, I don't think they ascended to Olympia. Olympia was the home of the gods. I think anybody who died that, the, you know, Hades was the, the the god of death and he basically owned his soul. So like anybody who died went to the underworld in Greek mythology. Huh. Uh, it wasn't necessarily an evil place. It was just the, the, the realm of, of the dead. And there's like many works of literature that have picked up on Greek mythology that don't have Hades as necessarily an evil character. It's just death is his domain. Um, yeah, but this, I think to your point is it's a lot more like a purgatory for place for, for uh, souls that uh, need to get something sorted out. Yeah. I also noticed that this is the second time in a row that we've started off a half season with somebody warning Emma not to do something. And something tells me that she is, of course, for the second time in her life, going to completely misobey these mysterious instructions. And it seems like she does as we're on the boat, way to hell, and we reach the dock. And even though Emma is all about sending everyone else back, she herself is not taking Neil's advice and heading back herself at all during this episode. I mean, that's like telling somebody who's halfway down a water slide, maybe you shouldn't wear a thong on this thing. I mean, she's really kind of <laughs> fully committed at this point. And, you know, maybe Neil should have given her this warning like the night before. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you yeah, know, they're they're fully committed. And I, I actually there's been many times when I have groaned and rolled my eyes at Emma not taking some very obvious advice. But, come, Neil, you're a little late to the. A little late to the party here, but she's going. They're all going. We're all going as viewers. So let's let's just go. So speaking of, we're we're jumping along here to purgatory slash the underworld. Again, I saw this during the during the press. I don't know how much you did, Kurt, over the course of these past three months. I would love to know your thought about the choice of the underworld being a bizarro version of Storybrooke, complete with a red tint that will presumably yeah. be there throughout the next three months and a smashed clock tower. Yeah, at least the red tint is useful for like you know getting our bearings on where each scene is going to be starting out at. Very true. Um, I know the, it, it's it's interesting, and there was an interesting exchange between uh, Regina and Robin Hood at one point in this, where like it kind of is a chicken and the egg situation, isn't it? Where you know she 
Regina basically says that, you know, Storybrooke, uh, as it came to be created, was something that was kind of part and parcel of the dark curse that she cast. I mean, it wasn't suddenly like a, a town was taken over, uh, but, you know, Storybrooke was embedded in that spell. And she it had to be modeled after something. Maybe it was modeled after the underworld. Um, like, I think my initial response was that this is a kind of one of those situations where um, the, you know, the afterlife in some manner or hell in some manner is modeled after things that people are used to in real life. So if this had been a bit different group of people from a different show we were following, it wouldn't have looked like Storybrooke. It might have looked like uh you know the the peach pit uh it, <laughs> or, or 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 you know whatever um but it's so, like they, she raises this interesting question of like you know you know is this underworld is this purgatory modeled after storybrook or was the city that was embedded in the dark curse modeled after something that pre-existed already and that in this case being the underworld so um i don't know it's but it's a it it's a uh financial decision i'm sure also so uh i say yeah go with i'm with it i'm with it long long drawn out answer that basically sums up i'm okay with it yeah i'm i'm okay with it as well and i think you know again i think the decision was primarily financial Uh, i think they you know they they spent a lot probably on going to camelot uh and you know they have various go-to story arcs i feel like between neverland and season two as well um but i think that having purgatory be storybook based brings a sort of familiarity to it that I think resonates very differently than if they actually went to like a fire and brimstone like place. And I feel like if you went to that, that latter place that I just described, there's no way you can pull it off successfully. I feel like if you go with the cheap graphics, people are going to laugh. If you try to go with the minimalist representative set pieces that you would do in like an experimental play that wouldn't work either. So I feel like they sort of uh, took their best bet here by saying, let's just go with a place we already know. And that way, I think there's going to be a lot of fun Easter eggs throughout about like, okay, what does the purgatory version of this look like? And what does the purgatory version yeah. of this represent? You know, is Cora the mayor, Cora is the mayor of purgatory in this world. So it's fun. It's like sort of like the bizarro Jerry uh, from Seinfeld type of situation now that we're going to experience. Yeah. Plus we've kind of had the fire and brimstone uh, segment of, you know, see, it was in season two, uh, season two of Once Upon a Time, where there was the that fiery room between the worlds where, you know, you could only go there if you had been put under that sleep spell at some point. So Aurora and Henry were communicating there. That, that was kind of the they've already done the fiery brimstone thing. So at least this is this is a nice alternative. Yeah, absolutely. So. As everyone sort of gets their bearings and there's a nice little lampshade moment here where they ask Gold, like, why does this look like Storybrooke? And Gold basically says in a matter of words, I, it, it doesn't matter. Here's what we need to do. Uh, but as you know, everyone talks about their unfinished business and, you know, take a shot because that's probably going to be the word of the next three months. <laughs> uh, we get our we get our first flashback scene here. The flashbacks are for the most part going to be Regina centric. And we're going all the way back to <laughs> pre-curse Regina. And Kurt, it's her birthday. Happy birthday to Regina. I'm not going to disclose an age because I'm afraid she's going to crush my heart in retaliation. Yeah, I'm not. uh, I know it's I know we have to have flashbacks, but it's not like every time we flash back to the enchanted forest, I have to like kind of mentally pause for a good few minutes as I try to figure out where in the timeline this fits and uh, what events have happened before this and what what events follow this. And like, you know, we don't realize right away that, okay, this happened uh, 
after Korra has been banished to Wonderland. Okay, but if Father's still okay, Father's still alive. Okay, pre Dark Curse, definitely pre Dark Curse. Um, so that that's still, I'm that's I'm I'm getting tired of Forest flashbacks. Um, but uh, yeah, she's being the the villagers are celebrating, and instead of a bounce house, they get her a blueberry pie. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna probably be the bearer of bad news, Kurt. I feel like unless we get some new character flashbacks, I feel like we're gonna be seeing a lot of Enchanted Forest this season I'm, because yeah. I'm, unlike the Camelot stuff, which was like, oh, let's flashback to six weeks ago when we lost our memories. <laughs> here, they're really not able to do that as a device. Yeah, um, and and as uh, as a person on this podcast, I will try my best to isolate that irritation to this single episode of our podcast. I won't harp on it <laughs> repeatedly. Perfect. Uh, you'll yes. hopefully you will not treat uh, this section of the podcast like that. That weird guy in the village treated Regina. <laughs> oh yeah, the yeah. The, well, that was, the, you know before we get you get to the flashback. That was one thing. Like my first question right before the flashback was: They're spending a lot of time on creepy spray paint spray paint guy. Are we supposed to remember who this is? And then it's like immediately answered at the end the flashback. So I was very happy about that. Yeah. He's, he's our red cloak this episode. He's a guy that mm. sort of like that steward that was in, or like the random camel Camelot people that get introduced for one episode and then killed. Uh, I, I believe, I, definitely, you, I believe you mean camel ocean. Yes. Uh, let's not retire <laughs> the phrase. The creators promised that at some point this season, we'll find out what happened to Arthur and all of them though. Oh. Who knows? It might, it might have its own little separate Merida esque episode for all we know. <laughs> is that merida-esque or meridesque <laughs> uh well it might be one and the same depending on if it's the same thing as the bear and the bow though we're, we're gonna get a call back to that episode uh this very episode kurt which i did not expect that no. to exist in there but i guess they have to give that episode to a reason to be there somehow true true yeah it's they're not going to completely let go but they committed somewhat so we have to we have to hear more of it so it's the return of evil Regina. It's the return of the Enchanted Forest. It's the return of Snow White's long hair. Uh, but pretty much the scene just basically says, this is sets us back into the mood of Regina's the evil queen. It's her birthday. She wants Snow White dead. They show up and, you know, uh, pull one up on her and she disappears. And we see King Henry for the first time in a long time. And pretty much just, it's the basic gist of this entire flashback sequence is, Regina wants her revenge. She wants to kill Snow White. King Henry says, if you kill Snow White, you're going to basically damn yourself for all eternity. So don't do it. Uh, and he's going to try to reach out to her through the one resource that he probably shouldn't through Cora. I'm surprised that basically dad was like inches away from breaking out into let it go uh, throughout this entire episode. Yeah, I mean he's he's a very kind person. I mean, I think we saw from the Miller's daughter episode in the in the third season, Cora's origin story, that this is a very very nice man overall. I just happened to get in bed with a lot of bad people, literally. <laughs> so I I really I felt I felt for him this entire episode, especially here when you know he's gonna basically doom himself by trying to do the best he can for his daughter. Uh, let's let's go to Granny's Kurt uh, Flash because. <laughs> Flash forward because we we have a couple more guest stars here. Uh, first, as you mentioned, the always memorable character of the blind witch from season one's Hansel and Gretel episode. Kurt, did you recognize her upon first glance, or did you have to look her up? Uh, neither. <laughs> there was there was a um, there was a reference about uh, I can't I can't remember what exactly it was. I was like, she looks familiar. 
who is she again? But then there was some reference that she made to Mary Margaret or that Mary Margaret made to her that made me connect the dots that it was uh, about. Because she talked about little kids. I think there was an oven reference. Yeah. Anyway, there was something that was said that made me realize who it was. Yeah, she said that she serves her specialties are gingerbread or children. And then that she jokes it. that like uh, she's like, oh, I'm joking. The gingerbread's actually really bad. Uh, so that's that's definitely a, a yeah. pull to say like, hey, audience, this is who this was, the person that appeared on your screen four years ago for one episode. But I would say the bigger yeah. character that appears here uh, in, again, probably one of the more soapy plot lines since Selena <laughs> getting pregnant via Robin. It's the return of David's twin brother, James. Prince douche. Prince douche. I had forgotten how much of a douche he was. I know he appeared in a couple of flashbacks between season one and now, but... I don't know. I guess I've been so focused on David the entire time, who is also not the nicest person sometimes that I had completely forgotten about how much of a douche his brother was. Yeah. And I I liked the like, well, we have to have him leaving off one way. And you knew as soon as he walked off one direction, you knew that David was going to come on in the other direction. It was like, you know, classic TV uh, trope. Uh, But yeah, it's it's uh, it, it was it was a fun little a fun little button that they threw in there. Yeah, and I think it's setting up for some very possible fun circumstances later on where now we have twins, identical twins existing in this universe, one good, one bad. And I can only imagine if there is a sort of coalition of people that are forming around Hades and Hades is sort of dispatching familiar characters to help deal with these our heroes, that there could be a lot of confusion between these two going down the line. I <laughs> Again, I wasn't didn't have my my thinking cap fully screwed on last night. I didn't even stop and think that we might see more of uh, of James down the road. But apparently he's the new sheriff in town. Like, <laughs> I was going to say, James. Uh, yes. Uh, Josh Dallas. He was only contracted to play David for these 12 episodes. Unfortunately, James was a was a one episode character. He was he was only paid uh, to do two roles for one episode. They had to yeah. they couldn't st- uh, string out all the money for it. Uh, but as everyone else kind of comes in and they realize what's going on, Gold says he has something down here that can help him, though he kind of strikes out on his own. And we have a, a pretty sad scene here where Henry comes uh, with Neil's old room key and he basically is has been looking for his dad. And Emma basically has to tell him without telling him, hey, your dad's not here, but I'm sure he loves you. I think that would have been a good like a, a good point for her to share that, you know, this is a place for unfinished business. and. I have a feeling that, you know, I think I think that's something that could that's something that could have um, maybe made Henry a little bit more happy is like the fact that your dad isn't here is a good thing because he he has no unfinished business in the world and he knows we love him and he's on to a better place than here. I I think she could have spun that out for him. Yeah, and I mean, he is going to meet another one of his long-lost family members later on this episode anyway, so it's some form of consolation. But yeah, she definitely could have explained herself a lot more, even if she, she didn't. She could have leave out the part where, you know, Dad warned me not to come down here. But she could have disclosed that Dad tried to incept his way into uh, a dream, because who knows? Henry might have seen Inception at this point if he's seen Harold and Maud and it's on his iPad. I think that's the only movie that exists in his world. <laughs> only Harold and Maud? That's the only movie yeah. he knows? Yeah. <laughs> so back in the flashback, uh, Regina is playing a perverted game of she loves me. She loves me not by pulling petals off of a black rose by remarking about everything she hates about Snow White. And another guest appearance here, Kurt. It's Giancarlo Esposito as Sydney the Mirror. He's back. Yeah. Um, we, he, he's got a pretty like 
relatively like compared to like the the witch from Hansel and Gretel and even the the quick the literal drive by we had of Cruella de Vil at the very beginning um he he's got a, actually a a key role in this at a couple points uh it was yeah. it was it was good it was good to see old Sydney back yeah, I would. By the way, I was pretty pissed that we saw the car drive by, but we didn't see Cruella because, again, I loved how much of a crazy mofo she became, and I just, I just really wanted to see that that craziness come out again, especially in this setting. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm, I'm keeping my my heart open for more for more Cruella. We can hope. We can hope. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully the production team will not crush your heart by keeping it open. That's true. Or maybe they'll swap my heart with somebody else's, but I'm getting ahead of it myself. <laughs> yeah, with some unmasked <laughs> uh, flunky there. So as Regina leaves, Henry decides, okay, let's pull out the gig, big guns. Let's me, let me make a deal with the devil and not Hades. So he summons Korra, who, as you said, has been banished to Wonderland at this point. And he basically is convincing her, you need to help Regina let go of this vendetta. But Korra on the other hand, thinks, no, she <laughs> needs to carry through with this to be happy. And Cora shows that, again, this is why you don't make a deal with the devil because she possesses magic that allows her to step through the looking glass, literally, and come back into the Enchanted Forest. I mean, it'll be interesting if the flashbacks revolve around unfinished business of different characters. We can almost look at Snow White... Um, or sorry, Regina going after Snow White is this perpetual unfinished business in her life. And the flashback is really about Regina's unfinished business with Snow. And you're right, if this was a drinking game, this was, people would be on the floor by now. How many times we say unfinished business? Um, but yeah, and it's like, on one hand, the you know dad's saying again, let it go. And uh, and mom is like, oh, we could, the best way to make this finished business is for you to just kill her. Um, Though I was surprised at how easy it seemed for her to get out of the mirror. I, I was I, that confused me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if it was so easy as to have someone just summon her and it was that easy to just have her step through the mirror, I'm sort of surprised that she wasn't able to do it sooner, you know? I'm there yeah, are some pretty there are some, there are some pretty stupid people in the enchanted forest. I'm sure she could have convinced some sort of random guard to do it while Regina wasn't looking. Yeah, I I again I, I didn't get my degree in magic, so I don't know the ins and outs of how this particular how this specifically happened. But um, I don't know if it was the equivalent of the dad leaving the leaving the uh, you know the stove on when he left the house, like he forgot to maybe properly shut down Windows uh, Sydney version uh, um, when he shut off the computer and just kind of left it running, and she was able to get out. I, I'm like, but so okay, but you know, long story short, she's in the castle and she's in this world again. So we get a, a reuniting of mother and daughter here back in purgatory as Regina sees Cora in the mayor's office. They embrace because let's remember that Regina had nothing to do with Cora's death. That was all Snow White. And Cora, in sort of a similar path as Neil, warns Regina, you don't you should not stay here. Your friends and family are holding you back. You need to do what's best for you. You, Henry, and your robber, as she calls him. I've arranged for a boat, which I have no idea how you do that. Uh, I guess you, I don't know. Is it like an Uber? You, you call him and he just sort of circles around until you're able to pick him up. But there's a boat coming. You need to get on there. Trust me, I'm doing this all for you. Yeah, and we kind of find out later through the episode that everybody's assumption is that like this Uber that's showing up is going to be able, it's going to be like a minivan, be able to hold eight people. Um, you know, you know, Cora pretty much says it's you, it's Henry, it's Robin Hood. But you know, as we progress through the episode and the, and the others find out about this plan, every everybody pretty much 
everybody pretty much plans on joining her in this boat uh, <laughs> as an escape plan. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, they'd, they'd be screwed if it was like a rowboat size instead of the exactly. one that they took down. <laughs> yeah, it's a kayak. <laughs> yeah, it could only, they could pull a Titanic and have someone float in a door alongside them. <laughs> it's, like, it's, still, it's like a really big door and there's obviously plenty of room for everybody. But Regina's like, nope, sorry. Stay in the water. <laughs> nope, sorry. You're, you're drowning. Oh, and I, give me your jewel. Oh, no, I'll, I'll also <laughs> drop it into the ocean as well. By the way, if, if people want to go into the archives and listen to a couple years back, Rob's coverage... Of uh, that wasn't with you, was it? Of what? The Titan- of Titanic. No, there was an anniversary podcast that Rob did of Titanic, and there was a huge section on how evil Rose was for for basically taking up the door herself. So anyway, sorry. I don't, Side note: I don't, a, Yeah, I don't even remember that. I wonder who it could have been with. I can only imagine with the rogues gallery of of reality TV people that join Rob on those movie recaps of of who. Uh, decide to talk about Titanic with him. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was quite hilarious. It was quite hilarious. Anyway, moving on. So <laughs> we see an, an interesting facet here of the underworld in that Cora is really trying to show Regina about what will happen if you stay in the underworld. And so we go to this again. We have staved off the CGI up until this point until <laughs> now where we're warped to this un- nondescript fiery chasm uh, where, again, this is our red cloak, the guy that brought Regina to Korra. Uh, he has shown us sort of bait here for the proverbial dinosaur to show what will happen. And flames come from the side of my face, no, from the <laughs> bottom of the magma pit and sort of envelop him and presumably, I guess, drag him off to hell. Is that what we're to assume from that? Yeah, Korra hated him so, so much. Burning, burning... <laughs> Heaving breaths of yeah, fl- of flame come up from the uh, come up from the pit and and you know take him away and it's yeah it's it is again this is one of those points where it's like okay is this like the caverns underneath the Storybrook is this where the Malborg or whatever the heck it was that Maleficent Chernabog Chernabog thank you it looked a little bit like that it looked a little bit like a uh, pit area in Neverland at one point. Um, where the sweat- oh yeah, the, the 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 pit where like you have to reveal a secret in yes. order to cross the bridge or something. Yes, exactly. Um, so I wasn't sure if we had been here or not before. That we we know that there's a huge cave system underneath Storybrook, which is visited later in the show. Um, but and so, but I, I was just content saying, okay, this is someplace. Well, here's the thing: is like we find out also later in the show that Regina and and Henry are able to get to this pit through yeah. known pathways so they've been here before they so it is something i think that we've seen in the past it might have been the chernabog area um anyway yeah yeah Sp- I'm, I'm not i'm not sure Pagon. this just seems like a generic like exit slash entrance to the town maybe this will be like our version of the town line down in purgatory because this is also the place where king henry will also sort of presumably ascend to heaven at the end of this episode yeah. as well. So it's not just a place where you're sent to hell. There's a potential for both as Cora sort of outlines here. The only two ways you can leave purgatory, you don't actually die. You either leave the good way or the bad way. Yeah. And she basically says, well, if you don't leave, I'm going to bring your father here next, which definitely strikes a chord with her. Yeah. It's kind of a sorting pit like in Harry Potter. <laughs> heaven. <laughs> hell. <laughs> Hell! Oh, definitely hell. I'm oh, pretty sure I'm think I'm thinking heaven. Heaven. You definitely yeah. binary sorting pit. Absolutely, that sucks. 
So let's let's take a break from our Regina stuff here to talk about a, a, our, our little gold bit here this episode uh, where gold arrives in his version of his shop, which uh, is not so much decorated with magical antiques as much as it is a sort of a reliquary of objects from villains past. We have the straw doll that I think Peter Pan gave Hook as a young child. We have Maleficent spinning wheel. I think I saw somewhere that the Wicked Witch's bicycle was in the back as well. Uh, so that's really probably one of those moments where you can pause and probably point out all the random objects from the past four and a half seasons of Once Upon a Time. And the creepy puppets that Geppetto's parents got turned into were there too. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Let's talk about this random flashback scene, which again, you talked about how you're glad that the uh, the purgatory version of Storybrooke is red tinted because had that not happened here, I wouldn't have thought that this was like a flashback scene because uh, it seems like we're going back to shortly before the the end of the previous episode i guess before gold oh, yeah. revealed himself to be the dark one uh i was a little bit confused here kurt so basically gold i guess told bell where he was going but i had thought that at the end of last half season he sent bell to go over the town line without disclosing any sort of information and we were presuming that he it was his plan all along let's remember to be given the power of the dark one and to trick everyone all along, but he didn't tell her about it because he didn't want her to know about it and to basically for him to lie to her again. But it seems like she was still hanging around. So now I'm confused. Was, was that where he sent her across, but then he got attacked by Merida as a bear? No, no, that was the, uh, that was a little while back at the very <laughs> end. He's, he urged her once again to go over the town line. And I thought that she actually did though. Apparently this scene happened as well. You're asking, you're asking the wrong guy, Mike Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> this is I also I also in preparation for this read through all 11 of my notes on all the episodes because I had unfortunately almost completely forgotten everything that happened. So I wanted to remind myself because the show is a show that leaves little breadcrumbs of previous episodes in uh, their in their current episodes. I mean, let's look again yeah. at the reliquary that exists in the shop. So I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss out on any plot points. Yeah, I was I was good. Mostly refreshing myself up like through all of the shenanigans going on with the the bevy of dark ones and the the you know the the death of and usage of Excalibur at the lake shore. I completely forgot about uh Bob Bell, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well unfortunately I feel like the uh producers might forget about her as well considering that she is not in uh she's in Storybrooke right now, but I we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit actually. Let's talk about this pan gold not necessarily <laughs> confrontation, but sort of discussion between the father and son reunited at last. A much different tone from the mother and daughter reunion that happened about 10 minutes ago. Panning for gold? <laughs> yes, we're panning for gold here. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts? Were you excited to see Robbie K back here? How do you think the two played off against each other, considering it's been about two years at this point since they've done a scene together? Uh, I liked the return of Pan. I like the return. I like Robbie K as an actor. Um, and he was the only thing I liked. But keep in mind, Neverland was the season that got me to stop watching Once Upon a Time. Uh, um, the only thing I liked about that season was Pan. And so I was glad. I remember, especially remember the, uh, you know, when they, when they came back and you had to have, um, uh, and and Pan was acting in Storybrooke and you saw Henry kind of trying to act like Pan, oh, um, God. But, but not. Um, I just I thought that, that that Pan had done a really good job as an actor or that Robbie Kay had done a good job as an actor. So I would anyway, I was happy to see him back. And, and I'm like yeah. I said, I'm looking forward to potentially seeing him 
uh, more in the in upcoming episodes. Yeah, and I, I, I love this scene as well because, again, I think Robbie Kay is doing a great job of like being simultaneously malevolent but also benevolent at the same time and that he's trying to convince Gold, like, listen, I'm looking... Sort of like Cora and Regina, and maybe he's also working with Hades here. He's saying, yeah. I'm looking out for you, son. You need to leave. You shouldn't care about these people. He sort of drops a little bomb here that says one of them might not make it out of here, which I don't think is going to happen, but who knows? They did kill Hook last, uh, you know, a couple episodes ago. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought this was a really nice parallel between that and the Cora Regina stuff. And I only hope that with Robbie K down here and looking so stylish in a, a, a gold like suit, uh, not a gold, a Mr. Gold like suit, I should say. I only hope this means more appearances from him. And and I took the whole one of them might not make it back. I only took that as him framing it up as, as an opportunity for gold to get him back, to get Pan back into the real world. I mean, it's, I think it's, this again, it's like the magic hat, the same number of people who leave have to return or you can't have more people coming back or something like that. Uh, but he's basically he he needs to trade places with a living soul to return to the world. And so, you know, what if something were to happen to somebody and he could trade places with them, that wouldn't be the worst thing. Right. Um, but, well, yeah. But gold's not. Uh, I don't think gold's buying it. Well, we need to figure out exactly how you get someone, an undead soul back to the real world. I think Emma's plan right now is to split her heart and give it to hook. So he's imbibed with life again. And I think gold would have to do the same thing to get someone else aboard as well. Yeah, it's, I'm I'm not entirely (sighs) sure how it would end up working out, but it's looking like, you know, unless that's something that's revisited a couple episodes down the road, uh, we may not have to worry about the the logistics of it because I think I think it looks like Gold is not willing to uh, uh, play with Pan's uh, idea. Absolutely not. So it turns out Pan is very he's playing a little bit of a game here though, in that he does provide the object to Gold that he desires, which, as we find out in the next scene, is the Ale of Sinead from Dunbrock. This was the object that was the magical object that was from the Merida episode uh, that we loved oh so dearly, where you, you sprinkle it over the grave of somebody, you are able to talk with a dead person. Uh, so the plan right now is for them to sprinkle it over Hook's grave and they can basically ask him, hey, where are you? Where are you at, bro? Let's go find you. Yeah, come at me, bro. Uh <laughs> Go, we, we need come, to to, come to me, bro. <laughs> come to me, bro. Um, yeah, it's like okay. It's it it sounds kind of like a plan, although it's a it's not as simple as you know. You, there's still that added step of uh, you know finding out where he is, getting there, refreeing him, and getting out. Uh, but at least it's like a, a, it's it's a pathway towards the initial step to getting to returning with uh, with Killian. Yeah, though, as we'll find out, that first step is a very bloody and beaten step. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Before we get to that, though, we have another flashback here where uh, it seems like King Henry has arranged to meet with Snow White in the woods to sort of uh, broker his own deal to sort of end this war. Uh, And so we think that everything is hunky dory until the apparently real Henry comes in. And as Snow is distracted, the first Henry, who turns out to be Cora in disguise, takes Snow White's heart. Henry is again saying, let it go. Don't go through with this. But Cora basically just commands Snow White, hey, forget about all this happened and go on your merry way. And now I have a birthday present for Regina. Yeah, this is kind of disappointing. I was like, I was kind of, I kind of liked seeing an emissary from Regina trying to parlay with the quote unquote heroes or quote unquote good guys. Um, 
but oh, that Korra, which actually, which, which brings me to something like so far, we haven't seen in the underworld um, anything along the lines of, uh, you know, somebody uh, taking on the guise of somebody else. And I was afraid that like lots of times, if you, if you're talking about the afterlife or, or evil, um, I think that could be something that could, that was something I was afraid was going to be overdone potentially in hell that, that people were going to be wearing a lot of masks. But so far, everybody we've seen in, uh, in purgatory has been their true self. Uh, except and, for the, except for the twin brother of David for that one second. But even then there, he's, he's a twin. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the, the deal there. Um, so it's, it's, uh, I was, I was, so, but the, the the thing I was glad we weren't seeing in Purgatory was interesting to see here where we it's not actually King Henry. It's Cora in the guise of King Henry. And I was I was uh, I also this is another part I had to rewind to make sure I understood what was going on. I was like, oh, she's evil and she's sneaky. Yeah. And well, I'd also forgotten if only a dark one could possess that magic or if it's just dark magic overall that anyone could do. My my thinking is it was the latter. Is that it? Was kind of a magical, uh, just a, a magical spell. Um, yeah, it's just something, just something yeah. in the dark magic toolkit, rather than the entirety of the dark magic toolkit. Yes. So let's go. Let's go to the graveyard here. It is. What do you think about this idea that purgatory? Everyone has a grave there. Mm, well, I guess I don't know. It's it's almost like a yellow pages or white pages. I guess where it's like it's like everybody's in there at some point at some place. I don't know. It's I mean, that also kind of raises the question about, you know, is this like the entire underworld or or because, you know, because uh, because Storybrooke was a magical construct in our world, does it have its own special little underworld? And that's why you can actually have a self-contained like this is obviously not the um, I don't know. So this is I was going to say this is not the underworld for the entire world, but at the same time. Uh, the witch from Hansel and Gretel didn't die in Storybrooke, so but the, she's here, and and I don't know, and Cruella. Yeah, did Cru- did Cruella? Oh, she died. She uh, died in Storybrooke. King Storybrooke, King Henry. Right. King Henry did not die in Storybrooke though, and he has a grave here. Yeah, so it's I'm 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 not trying to overthink it, but it did seem a little odd to me that you would have graves in Purgatory. But I mean, I th- I I, th- I like the idea actually. I think it it's very representative of like the ever hanging presence of death here. Where like yes, you might not be exactly in heaven or hell, but at the end of the day, you still are dead. And this maybe serves as a constant reminder that you're not exactly your normal self. You have died and gone to this place. But the the main thing to take away from this scene here is that they spill the ale and they try to communicate with Killian. But uh, yeah, it's, it was, that was creepy, Kurt. I mean, he's speechless. He is very bloodied and bruised and the connection goes very badly. I guess there's no, you know, they were probably on 3G when they needed LTE in terms of, uh, or ALE in terms of connection. But uh, yeah, Killian couldn't, he couldn't hear them. He couldn't communicate with them. So now the, the lasting image that Emma has of her one true love is that he is in a horrible place. Yeah. Carl from the walking dead a couple of weeks ago was doing better than Killian was in this scene. And, and <laughs> oh boy, it, 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 it reminded me a little bit of some like the, you know, the, the horror movies that, that um, there was kind of a period of time there where kind of ghosts and supernatural entities were portrayed as this kind of like quickly shifting, almost like cut scene 
image that would just be jumpy and kind of be kind of jumpy and shifty and which are two more dwarves um and staticky another dwarf uh but <laughs> it uh it, i don't know it was it but it produces a very jarring very uh impactful effect and i'd say i have to agree with you this is probably one of the more creepy scenes in the run of uh once upon a time yeah and it seems like not to spoil too much about next week but it seems like we get a little bit of insight as to where hook is held specifically but yeah that's a that's a pretty for lack of a better term ghostly slash ghastly image to leave there and it only leaves the message in emma's head that clearly i'm dealing with something bigger than i thought everyone else needs to leave except for me everyone resoundingly says no and we get another flashback here to regina's birthday party which looks as dour as one would expect if that cake tasted like licorice, I would be out completely. Sorry. Yeah, that, I, want, that, I wonder what I wonder. I wonder what black fondant tastes like in the in the enchanted forest. Despair. <laughs> is there is there an ace of cakes in the enchanted forest? I think that's in Wonderland. <laughs> that the, yes, the ace of cakes is the card that cooks the cakes for the queen. Exactly. <laughs> So uh, Cora brings in this gift, uh, a heart, a heart in a box. I will say we think can, it's Snow White's heart. <laughs> can, we, can we rewind, though? Why does Regina even have a court jester? I mean, this does <laughs> yeah, not. That, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't even it doesn't make sense because uh, like uh, unless she was checking off the boxes of, OK, this is what I need to have in order to be a queen. But yeah, she she is not the personality that needs a, a court jester. And it, again, you know, this is another red cloak, a guy who has one joke and then Regina kills him, which again, for all the uh, pouting and glorifying that King Henry does about don't go through with your revenge, don't kill Snow White. Regina does a pretty damn easy job of killing nearly everyone else over the course of this series that you would think she'd have a lot more weighing on her soul than just possibly killing Snow White. I mean, there's got to be a huge turnover in that position. Like, I'm sure, I mean, and I'm sure that they're going to refill the role. I mean, it's not just going to be empty. Like you said, she's checking the box. So, you know, there's going to be another jester who has to step up and take that position. And it's maybe like, I'm curious if there's like a sign like, you know, so many days since last court jester killed. And it's just, uh, it's, it's just a really, really bad idea for, for in terms of hiring. Maybe she's like Joffrey in that she actually gets pleasure from torturing and killing the jesters rather than, and then them entertaining her. But he looked really happy. Like he didn't look like scared of his job. It's like, it maybe it was probably his first day. The last jester <laughs> was killed yesterday. He's like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going like, to fully embrace this. No, don't do that. No, and he had he had probably had a wife and kids and everything. His his kids grew up to be creepy clowns as a result. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll find out one of the jester's kids lives in purgatory one day. But Cora shows off her gift as what she assumes is Snow White's heart in a box. She shows her in the mirror to sort of <laughs> celebrate. And this is a weirdly timed out scene, Kurt, where it just so happens that as Regina is squeezing a heart, Snow White looks like she's going into cardiac arrest. But it turns out that Jiminy Cricket was nestled in her bosom and that she was actually gripping the heart of a of random soldier number five. Yeah. What? Why? What? <laughs> like, what? Like, did she know he was down there? Did I'm talking about Jim? I'm talking about Jiminy Cricket. This was the thing that made me ask more questions not just about this episode, but maybe the entire series is <laughs> I want to know. And he had a matchstick. Like, like, did she, was he retrieving it or did he bring it with him? And if he, like, I have so many questions about the pervy grasshopper down the blouse <laughs> that 
Uh, but it well, was, it, make, it, it makes it even worse that the apparent pervert, pervert grasshopper is now a child's therapist in Storybrooke. I feel like that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't translate out well. I'm I'm surprised Bill Cosby wasn't playing Jiminy Cricket at the very beginning oh, of Once Upon a Time. Are. <laughs> yeah i it was it's a strange set of circumstances i could totally imagine though the writer's room where they're like all right uh all right so snow white's gonna be fidgeting a lot uh what uh, what happened i don't know uh how about like uh and jiminy cricket's down her blouse yeah okay let's let's like pencil that in uh we'll we'll go we'll put, put a better idea in eventually when we go through rewrites <laughs> and it just never made it never got better throughout rewrites so they decided to keep it yeah, like a uh, uh, a woodland creature would have made more sense than Jiminy Cricket with a matchstick. Her um, saying, her saying, "Oh, I have a st- uh, like I have gas," would work better than Jiminy Cricket down her blouse. Or just like belching, just like belching really loudly. Like she would have won the respect of all the dwarves. Uh, you know, it it was she's not really princessly at this point. Um, I think she just should have let out a huge belch. But no, instead you have Jiminy Cricket coming up from the valley and <laughs> and everyone just and it was like it was like a 1980s sitcom like everyone pauses and then laughs and then we and then the, like, the, the credits roll yeah yeah they freeze in a high five <laughs> yeah exactly and then and then it comes on with jimmy cricket sitting in a director's chair like hi i'm jimmy cricket you know sexual assault in the workplace is a serious misdemeanor nowadays so make sure you ask your coworkers before you treat them lasciviously visit www blah 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 to learn more <laughs> yeah, exactly. if, if you exactly. know somebody who has been assaulted by a grasshopper <laughs> grasshopper assault is a very uh unspoken about crime it's it's a it's a, a victimless crime as they try to make you say except you're saying somebody's license is getting revoked back in storybrooke after this scene absolutely so yes henry king henry comes clean he switched the hearts he gave the heart back to snow white when cora wasn't looking regina is pissed and henry again keeps trying to say let it go i don't want you to break bad basically and regina decides to retaliate by using the box to shrink down her dad and put him inside it and i'm sure uh once upon a time's homage to honey i shrunk the kids yep i you know, match game first match game yes. of this season Miss honey I, I think i have where is it where is it honey i shrunk the king <laughs> <laughs> oh they need to continue this series just to have it be medieval set and to have that title happen i mean i was trying to figure out like is like Okay, there's a mini. Is is the shrunken king what comes out of? Because that wouldn't work if the shrunken if if little King Henry was instead of Jiminy Cricket. No, that I don't know how they could have gotten that to work. But yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure either. And I thought at this point, like, okay, because the, remember the next time we saw King Henry was when basically when when uh, Regina had to kill him in order to create the the first yeah. dark curse. So I didn't know if she just like kept him to safekeeping, though. He'll have a much more confusing fate later on here. Uh, Regina's going to talk to King Henry in the present now where, you know, he talks about how he's a little confused that he has some sort of unfinished business here. Uh, and, you know, he tells her, no matter what your mother's telling you, I need you to stay because, you know, you put vengeance aside. So clearly you are in a better place than you once were. You spread hope and you will not have died in vain. So basically mom's telling her one thing, dad's telling her another thing, and it's all going to come down to who's Regina going to believe at this point. And I think there's also, I mean, it wasn't really directly related to this part of the story, but it, it also, I think the big question that was also raised in my mind is, you know, 
why is the king's reception so good, but Hook's reception was so spotty? And that's not going to make things easy for our heroes. Yeah, that was that was a little strange. Maybe, you know, Regina decided to hog some of it for herself. Maybe it's because Hook is presumably trapped in some place further away, whereas Henry seems yeah. very near. That, that's, uh, maybe that's the that's impression it. I got. That's the impression I got is that is it's going to be a bit more difficult to bring back uh, to bring back Hook than we thought. So let's tie up our flashbacks here, Kurt, uh, where Regina sort of gives her own sending off to her mother here. She reveals what she's done with her father, even though she re- she tells him that, you know, I'm going to keep you safe, which, you know, uh, will be completely broken in about two minutes. Uh, you know, she says, I'm still going to get my revenge, but it will not be your victory and you will not be around. And so these sort of uh, Capri Sun-esque hands from the mirror drag Cora back into Wonderland. Regina says she cast a curse that not even she can break, which I don't... The magic is always... Magical rules are always iffy on this show, but I, I don't know if you're able to cast a spell that not even you can break. I'm pretty sure there's like a, a user manual where there is like a self-destruct button that the person who casts the spell would be able to press at some point. The FBI might ask her to get a backdoor to the spells at some point. So there's yeah, always exactly. a way. Well, then that's really, that's infringing upon magical freedoms. You know, sure. the magical constitution provides liberty to be able to, you know, keep your magical information to yourself. But Cora sort of has the last laugh here where at the last minute she poofs the box to into her hands as she disappears into the mirror. So now it seems like both of her parents are in Wonderland. So now the, the question becomes even bigger as to how does Henry get his way back to the Enchanted Forest for Regina to kill him and have the first spell cast? Yeah. It, and so we're going to see some of that this season. I mean, they have to. It's because it's it has to fill in those gaps, right? Yeah. And I guess, you know, if, they, if we need to plot out flashback time, it's a good excuse to see Wonderland. True. And and honestly, as as much as I... As as long, like I said earlier, that some of like the flashbacks to the Enchanted Forest kind of throw me sometimes. I'm trying to figure out exactly where they're falling. I mean, if it's a a flashback to, you know, to continue a story, uh, almost like they was done in Camelot. If it's a flashback to continue the story that was left off at the last flashback, then it's a lot easier to put things in order. So like if we have more flashbacks, but this time it's okay. Now it's Regina uh, trying to figure out how to get her dad back from Wonderland. I'm okay with that. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. So here we are at Cora is true to her word. And, you know, Regina and Henry and little Henry go to confront her. As you said before, it is a little odd that they were able to figure out how to get there. But I guess Regina is just that good with remembering locations and circumstances around it that she just has a, a general great navigational sense. And Regina basically tells her mother, no. Uh, I'm going to stay here. And so Cora feels like her hand is forced and Henry is consumed in flames and Regina apologizes to her father, which apparently is what the powers that be needed to hear as the flames drip down and light emanates from the other side of the cavern. And it seems like King Henry's soul is saved, Kurt. Yeah, you know, and this was and like this, this whole scene actually was I, I really, really enjoyed in terms of um it, it, you do get this sense of finished business. You do get the sense that, um, you know, apart from maybe rescuing him in the flashback, we don't have to really, we're probably not going to see much more of King Henry down the road. Um, and, and I liked the fact that, that Henry got to meet his grandfather slash great, great grandfather, depending on which branch of the family tree. you find <laughs> out. Um, So it, it, I know I really, really liked this scene. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, 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 again, I agree that I really like the moment where little Henry met big Henry, uh, because again, they hadn't really met each other and Regina passed <laughs> a lot. She, the reason why she named, you know, her son Henry is because she's, she wanted to pass along, uh, qualities from her benevolent father onto him. Uh, and I thought, you know, it, it, it wasn't too hokey for me to have his soul, be saved and i thought it was a very tearful goodbye between them and overall again i'd say as narrow-minded as it may have been this episode i really did like the regina stuff i think they almost always knocked it out of the park with regina stuff throughout the show and so i felt like even if they had to concentrate on one character only for the first episode of this of this mini season i feel like regina was the one to do it yeah that's true i i really like that that this side story as well and i mean it was really the main story i i would say in the in the in the the, the current land in the in the in the front in the flash forward um I was saying, oh, so technically, and it, it didn't really hit me till this episode. Like I knew it, I knew it from the past, but that Henry was named after Regina's father, and so you had Henry and Henry. And you said Henry, you, you said little Henry, and I was like, well, Henry Junior. You could call him HJ, but we don't. Want, that's <laughs> the kids can call you Hedgeu. <laughs> that's that's. But I don't think HJ is really a good name to start exploring. <laughs> so let's just move on from HJ. No, not now. Not with grasshoppers around. No, uh, God, no. So this actually, this scene uh, and the subsequent scene afterwards actually brings up a question question from one of our listeners jeffrey k are we going to have a quote-unquote save one solo week for the rest of the season and it there was sort of a couple lines in this next scene kurt where they're like oh we saved a soul hey there's a lot of other souls around here that need saving and so like what do you think the chances are that they go into the sort of procedural method this half season where every episode they're meeting a character from everyone's past and are able to either salvage them or send them to hell as a result. I was really glad that Jeffrey on Twitter asked this question because I was actually thinking the same thing. And I and I can't remember if it was at this point when they're like, oh, we saved a soul. That's great. Or later on, more towards the cap of the end cap of the episode, where we learned that the reason the clock ticked forward one was because that was one more soul saved. Um, and I was actually wondering the same thing, if there was going to be some sort of procedural element here where each week, uh, yes, they're proceeding along their planned route of um, you know, getting closer to rescuing Hook, but there's always some sort of side thing where they encounter somebody else and uh, that and are interfering with the, the the plans of the underworld. It reminds me a little bit of a, a uh, do you remember when Jeremy Piven was in a show called Cupid? on abc no he, he played I, tried, a, I tried i tried to forget about anything that involves jeremy piven generally it was actually a really uh really well done show but the idea was that he believed that he was the god cupid and the and the i believe the i can't remember if it was the uh the detective from the female detective from castle was uh with him uh, as, a, as a human counterpart but it was always like is he crazy is he not crazy but the idea was that uh, he had to basically bring so many people together to ascend to Olympus. So he was keeping track of how many hearts he saved or how many uh, you know matches he made and was had to get to like a thousand matches or a hundred matches or something. And so and then so that became very procedural. And it, my mind went back to that show when I thought about this is like, is this going to be a show now where every week to some extent they're going to be trying to find maybe not trying to find somebody to save, but yes, but end up saving somebody and just ticking off Hades more and more and more. Um, yeah. So, I, so I, I think it's I think it's actually a very good possibility that we're going to see some serial soul saving. It'll be the equivalent of once upon a time meets my name is Earl in terms of every week they're trying to do a good deed. I could 
I could see it if, again, if there was a chance that these guest stars would come back, which again, I'm a little, I have more reservations about that than you probably do. If it was like season one when they used to do that, when they would introduce like a new character every week and do their flashbacks, I feel like that would be a good way to sort of solve the problem of let's save a soul, but at the same time, fill flashback time where we're not going back to the same characters in the Enchanted Forest. But at the same time, I just, I just feel like they're so focused on other things right now that they might stray away from that procedural and go towards more of a narrative element. Yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't mind the, I wouldn't mind the occasional soul saved uh, coincidentally or just kind of on the fly, but uh, hopefully it's not like in every episode thing. What do you think about operation firebird as the name for the let's save hook operation? You know, it's let, let, you know, we're going to we're going to let Henry name the team because that's all he can do. <laughs> well, let's see. So in, I guess in the in the chain of uh, food command, as Henry has alluded to, it goes snake gets eaten by the mongoose, gets eaten by the phoenix, apparently. And so is the circle of life. And more Simba. <laughs> yeah. And more. I mean, Firebird, I, I, if, if it is, does mean Phoenix. I, it makes sense because, again, it's something that dies and is able to rise from the ashes. But I'm surprised they go with Firebird instead of Phoenix. I guess it's to make that joke about, hey, are you talking about the bird or are you talking about the car? But I'm... <laughs> yep i guess they're able to milk it out of that one joke so good good on you writers as yeah. so regina as everyone walks away regina notices the dismantled clock in the middle of the street begins ticking which also let's remember when emma first appeared in storybrooke the clock began ticking as well so it's very pertinent whenever that happens and oh boy does it pay off in spades here as we get to our final scene of the episode the subsequent reveal of presumably our big bad for now in the form of Hades, played by, I don't have his name on hand, but he is from Ally McBeal, correct, Kurt? Uh, yeah, Greg something or other. Um, I'll just do a quick search. You know, that's what the uh, uh, Hades, Greg, and we get German. That's right, Greg German. Uh, he's, he's, been, he's been in a lot of stuff. I, I I recognize him just you know initially from from Ali McBeal, but I'm trying to think of all. He was also on um, House of Lies on Showtime. Uh, mm-hmm. He 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 appears in, in quite a few things. I mean, he probably looks very familiar to to a lot of people. Um, uh, I, I've I've enjoyed him as an actor myself yeah i I, i've enjoyed him as well and again you know even if you're just associating him with ally mcbeal i like hades being played as like a slimy lawyer type i mean uh this entire last scene involves cora taking this elevator down in our you know generic mall that is the clock tower slash library to what was used to be the catacombs as you talked about before but is now sort of hades office where it's very ornately decorated there's a violin playing in the background there's a woman massaging his feet and he's drinking a glass of red wine and is decked out in a suit so i think if we're going with that angle of the smooth you know the smooth lawyer slash sort of salesman that is hades i like that what i don't like so much is the CGI blue blue flames that are coming out of the the not the side but the top of his head. Yeah, I was okay with it once. We'll see. We'll see if that's a perpetual thing or if it's just something that he, uh, you know, turns on when he, when the mood suits him. Um, yeah, well, so that that was so that was one another press photo, and I'll admit when I saw it at first, and the the generic community when they saw it at first, they were pretty displeased because. 
it is not a great effect. So I am totally with you there. Hopefully he only pulls it out when he is aggressive and is showing off his magic. Uh, because otherwise, I think it, it unfortunately kind of is a pretty cheesy effect. Uh, and so hopefully he won't have to, you know, this, you know, uh, he won't have to walk around with a with a green cap around his head for the for the next three months to, you know, CGI in the flame effect. Hopefully <laughs> it will just come out on occasion. <laughs> yeah, I, I if you envision the the green skull cap on to get the CGI in there, it makes it even worse. Yeah, absolutely. What are your thoughts? What are your initial thoughts about Hades here? And it seems like he's sort of the pit boss of the underworld here in that it seems like he's at least recruited Korra to try to stop the heroes and send them back here. Because as you said, every time the clock ticks, that's a soul that he loses. And I guess his goal is to keep as many souls in purgatory as possible. Yeah, although I'm trying to think if that's actually a logical thing for him to. Like, you think that he'd like be worried about overcrowding? It's like, okay, you know what? It's like it's it, 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 if purgatory is a process, where at the end of the process you either have to go to heaven or hell. It seems like you kind of want a steady stream of things going one way or the other. But he seems to want to keep everybody there. Okay, so that's that's his prerogative. That's his goal. Fine. But yeah, he had uh, definitely had Cora. Um, I think he believes that these newcomers to the realm do pose a a a problem when it comes to saved souls. Um, so he enlists and Cora fails in her in his uh, in in him charging her to get them to get them out. Um, so yeah, it, it you know we talked a little bit about you know is this going to be a you know save a soul each week? Do we also does it also kind of become a okay this week who did Hades task with trying to uh, you know correctly handle uh, Emma and her and her crew. Um, so I know it was it was it was interesting. I, I I do again. I like him as a character. I think like labeling this kind of a sleazy lawyer slash pit boss. Um, uh, it, it's 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 a it's a fun take on the character. Um, we don't yet know who the uh, pedicurist is. Um, uh, like if if this, I I have not seen the Hercules movie. Um, I know of a couple characters from it. Um, but I know in, in Greek mythology, uh, he was kind of keeping Persephone, uh, I yeah. believe as a, as a, uh, uh, an unwilling captive. Uh, and so my, my, that was my first impression. Um, but, uh, I know I, I'm, I'm really looking for, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this season plays out. It's kind of a, it, it's funny. It's like, I've, I've always liked the back half, at least of seasons two, three, um, at least three, four, and five. I've liked the back half of the seasons much more than the front half of the seasons. Uh, I really liked the the Oz part of season three. I really liked the uh, the evil uh, queens of darkness of season four. And, and I'm really enjoying, I think, the the idea of the underworld and a little bit of Greek mythology and a little bit of darkness uh, in season in the back half of season five. So I'm looking forward to where this goes. Yeah, Hades at least seems the potential being very, very intimidating for me because it, he seems very omniscient. I mean, he knows Cora's entire story yeah. and knows who Zelina is without even meeting her. So if he knows that, he presumably has the entire knowledge of all these characters' histories, including the ones that have just come into Storybrooke. So it seems like he's going to be able to hold that information over them. And again, I agree, it really excites me. It's almost like, you know, once we found out Arthur was kind of a sociopath at the <laughs> beginning of last season, I had a lot of fun with that. And, you know, if Hades is along the same level in terms of being able to manipulate people's emotions and trying to use people strategically uh, in his sort of game of chess, that makes me even more excited for the next 10 episodes. We do have a couple of questions about 
what our predictions are over the next batch of episodes. Uh, Rachel asks, do you think we'll be spending the entire half season in the underworld? What are your thoughts, Kurt? Um, I go back to last the last couple seasons or the last couple back halves um, where we weren't in Oz the entire season. And I think you you uh, uh, were a little bit surprised, uh, as was I, but I think you called it out before I did. You were surprised at basically how quickly we moved away from having a, a triumvirate of evil queens as mm-hmm. um, as as villains uh, for the back half of that season. So because of that, I would have to say we're not going to be we're not going to be in the underworld the entire half season. I'm going to say if we've got about uh, this was this was episode 12 in uh, yep. at least. And if we've got if we've got 10 episodes left, I'm going to say that the last I'm going to say maybe the last only the last four are not in the underworld. Yeah, I mean, I I think, again, if we're going along this this plan that I've sort of outlined in past podcasts that once upon a time has sort of generally sorted into where they introduce a villain for the first like eight or 10 episodes and then a big event happens for the last two episodes that completely sort of pushes everything else that happened away i feel like we're going to get that again and i feel like that's going to happen in storybrook where maybe hades comes up yeah. to storybrook maybe there's another presence that is even worse than hades that comes up to storybrook so i completely agree i don't think we're we're going to be in the underworld the entire time uh hopefully so that the production department can save on the red tint for at least a couple episodes <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna say a little bit later i'm probably gonna say around like episode nine or ten uh, just so they can really milk the underworld as much as possible. Uh, and finally, Becca asks us, how many episodes do we think it'll be until the group actually finds Hook? So this episode, we got a very brief clue as to what might be happening to Hook. How long do you think it's going to take before they at least find him, let alone rescue him? I was... My gut would have told me that they they find and rescue him by episode seven, which means we've... We keep second guessing ourselves and we're always wrong. We keep forgetting. We keep saying it, but we keep forgetting that things move so fast in Once Upon a Time. So I think that they will find Hook within three episodes and rescue him within five. Yeah, I would totally I could totally see them finding and rescuing him by the middle of the season, because, yeah. again, there's so much more to be milked out of the underworld setting and of Hades specifically that I don't think they necessarily need to concentrate so much on finding him. On the other hand, on, on actually, uh, you know, on the contrary, I think they would actually be doing themselves a disservice by taking so many episodes to try to find him, because I feel like that would just be a lot of plotting that doesn't need to happen, especially when once upon a time, as you just talked about, seems to be of the late, very go, 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 go. Let's cram in as many story points as possible. So I can totally see like a month from now, them having rescued hook at this point. I think it's gonna be like, it's gonna be about three episodes to track him down. Then there's gonna be two episodes to figure out how to actually get out of the underworld. Um, so, so, uh, Becca at green shoe 90, um, when episode 17 ro- rolls around, uh, remind us that this was our call, that our prediction was episode 17 is the one in which they have found and rescued Hook. And let's see if we're right. We may forget, but it's your job, Becca, to remind us. Yes, lucky number 17. We'll see if it's lucky or unlucky for us. Kurt, any other thoughts or observations about this mid-season premiere before we finish things up? No, I, I don't think so. Um, I've, it, I don't have, I think, as many questions about what what happened where is this going why is this happening um as i typically do 
uh, I think after the mid-season premiere of Once Upon a Time. Um, so it's 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 nice to only have a few questions that are just seem like naturally occurring questions that should hopefully be borne out in the next few episodes. So I'm really looking forward to the season. So if you guys out there have any recurring questions that you'd like to ask, or if you have any thoughts as to how Regina figured out how to get into that fiery chasm, or if you want to know exactly what magical freedoms people might have in the enchanted forest as outlined by the magical constitution, you have a bunch of ways to reach out to us. As always, you can leave a comment right there on the page on postshowrecaps.com. While you're there, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our once upon a time only feed at postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes. And while you're there, make sure to rate and review us. Uh, we're you know just starting up now again for the next ten episodes, so we have plenty more content to release for uh, to you guys out there. And we also have uh, a Twitter handles for you guys to reach out to us with any and all comments and questions. I am at a Mike Bloom type. Kurt is Kurt Clark. We would love to talk to you guys about Once Upon a Time. Just as a warning, though, if things show up in press items for you new listeners, uh, don't tag Kurt in them. Kurt is trying to remain as spoiler-free as possible uh, to try to not mar his... Try, try to not prejudge things before he watches the show. So please, if you found a press item, feel free to tag me. I'm interested, but uh, mum's the word for Kurt. I li- I- Virgin eyes. <laughs> exactly exactly while you're while you're here on post show recaps though make sure you check out all of our other great content going on most shows recap is going as always as is the seinfeld recaps uh, house of cards just started which again if we're talking about uh emotional manipulation house of cards i feel like is the show that masters that nowadays uh i actually just appeared on the snl podcast this week talking about the uh the oh, the not so great jonah hill episode but still had a really fun time talking about that with rob sesternino there's stuff going on all the time walking dead as always kurt made a reference to it before so pretty much if you have a if you have something you want to uh hear about in terms of scripted tv it's pretty much here on post show recaps including us on once upon a time i think i speak on behalf of kurt and myself when i say we are happy to be back happy to be watching this show really happy to be jumping into this uh this back half especially seems like it's going to be very exciting especially with hades on the horizon to finish (laughs) things off Kurt, we need a hashtag for people who have made it all the way to the end of this podcast. You know, I think if, if you just want to let us know you made it to the end of the podcast, just how about you tweet to us uh, hashtag honey, I shrunk the king. But if you if you want to conserve your character count, if you've got something you'd like to say, uh, do a hashtag sorting pit. It'll free up some characters for you. So you got actually a couple hashtags this episode. Perfect. And if you want to say nothing to us at all, except hashtags, just put those in that those in as well, along with any other ones you'd like to as well. We're we're all for you creative types out there. So either hashtag honey, I shrunk the king or hashtag sorting pit. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back next week diving into episode two slash episode 13 of this season overall. And remember, if you have had a nasty scuffle with a grasshopper, don't worry, you're not alone. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.